Scripture reading for this morning's lesson is taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I pray that as Christians we can have the confidence to defend ourselves against the devil in our hearts and in our minds. And in order to do that, I think we need to know what the threats are. I don't really like the term devil's advocate. It's not that I have any doctrinal issue with it. I just don't like it. I don't like to play the devil's advocate. I don't like to sound like I'm on his side for anything. You know what I mean? It just, I don't know, it sounds, it it, it has a bit of mental friction for me that I just have a a bit of a hard time getting over. But this morning, that's kind of what I want to do. a matter of fact, with this evening's lesson, that's what I want to do as well. I want to talk about some of the ways that if I were on his side, or if I were just him, some of the ways that I would attack people. You can think of this as us watching the opponent's game footage this morning. Okay. We're going to see, we're going to see what they typically do, what he typically does. And the reason that we're going to do that is so that we can respond appropriately to him. Because as I say, I pray that we can have the confidence to defend ourselves. And in order to do that, we need to know what the threats are. And so this morning I want to give you four threats, four things that I would do if I were the devil. And this evening I'll give you four more. And I hope that these will help us to be a little bit better prepared than we were before to be on our guard against him. So number one, number one, if I were the devil, I would emphasize comparative morality. I would emphasize comparative morality. I would try my best to convince you that being good is the same thing as being not that bad. That would be my goal, to convince you that being good is the same thing as being not so bad. And so, for instance, murder is obviously worse than lying. And I would try to convince you that lying is obviously worse than being divisive. And I would try to convince you that being divisive among your church family is obviously worse than cheating on your taxes. And I would try to convince you that cheating on your taxes is obviously worse than being unloving towards your wife or disrespectful of your husband. And so, you know what? My job as the devil, what I would try to do is convince you that if you are doing any of those things, at least you're not doing anything worse than those things. I would try to convince you that good is the same thing as not so bad. Now, I want to be fair about this because in putting that list and saying the devil would try to convince us that certain sins are worse than others, the reality is the scripture tells us that there are some sins that are worse than others. And so a man who does not provide for his household is said to be worse than an unbeliever in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. So I don't want to speak completely out of turn here. But I just want to show you that if I were the devil, I think that would be a pretty effective way of getting God's people to be okay with some sins. In making morality a comparative issue, I would do this so that my victims could always find some vice that was 
acceptable. That's at least not so bad. Hey, doesn't matter. I know I'm not right, but at least I'm no Hitler. I would try to find a way to tell you that if you are not the worst, then that means you're pretty much good. Now, I don't know exactly where God is drawing the line on some things, but I do know that God is not using everyone else as a yardstick to measure you and where the line should be for you. Wherever God is drawing the lines on some of the things that we may debate about in the Scriptures, the reality is they're not based on the standards of the worst person you know. They're based on the standards of the best person you know. And so our job is not to just not be too bad. Our job as God's people is to try and be as much like Christ as we can. But again, if I were the devil, if I were the devil, I would try to convince you that, you know what? Some godliness is better than none, which is true, by the way. (laughs) I would try to convince you that some godliness is better than none. And so, you know what? Don't try so hard. You're doing okay already. It's better than what you could be doing. Don't worry so much about your church attendance. At least some is better than none. Don't worry too much about always doing what's best for your family. At least some of the time is better than none of the time. And don't worry so much about integrity at your work. At least some honesty is better than no honesty at all, right? Well, the problem there, as you can plainly see, is a problem of apathy. And this would be my goal in this whole section about comparative morality. If I were the devil, I would try to convince you to be apathetic. But the problem is, with my convincing you to be that, is that biblically, none of it flies. Right? You you can't say, well, hey, some church attendance is better than none, so I'm just going to do some. Well, that doesn't work. For all of our tendency to dance around this passage, the fact is that Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 does say that you should not neglect to meet together. We must meet together. The Bible says that Christian parents must train their children, that Christian spouses must love and respect their spouses. And it doesn't talk about us getting any days off from that. And the Bible says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Your integrity at work should be of the highest degree. I've said before, I've said before that I don't think there is any Bible passage that says you should just kind of basically be a good person. There's no Bible passage that emphasizes that. Matter of fact, what the Bible does say is you shall love the Lord your God with all. With all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. It's not about basically being a good person. It's not about being better than somebody else. It's not about, well, at least I'm not as bad as I could be. It's about complete devotion to seeking God. You shall love the Lord your God with all. But if I were the devil, if I were the devil then apathy is one of the first and most frequent ways that I would try to tempt human beings away from God. And in doing that, I would try to use very simple stuff. I would try to use very easy stuff, very innocent sounding stuff. And sometimes I would even try to use the stuff that is necessary for you to tempt you away from God, to bring you down. 
I would try to use the stuff that you need in your life to bring you down. Not just the stuff that you want, but the stuff that you still need in order to bring you down spiritually. And here's what I mean. I would try to tempt you, if I were the devil, I would try to tempt you with something like money. You need money. There's just no way around it. There's something something you have to deal with every day. It's the society that we live in. It's a necessary part of interacting with our society and really of any society. So there's no way that you can get away from it entirely, which is precisely why if I were the devil, that is what I would use to tempt you and to try to bring you down. So that even if, even if you were able to keep If you succumbed to my temptations and you gave in to the sin of greed and materialism and then you overcame it, you'd still have to use this every single day and face the temptations every single day. I would use I would use your need for food against you. Again, something you need every single day. There's no way that you can get around that. It's just a part of keeping us alive. And I would tempt you if I were the devil To be consumed with a need and a desire for it. I would tempt you to what the Bible describes as gluttony. The desire for excess above and beyond that serves me rather than just keeping my mind on the glory of God. And the worst part of it all is that even after I had captured you in gluttony and you had overcome the temptation, when you got out of it, you'd still need to eat. You'd still need to eat every single day and face the temptation again and again and again. Or like some medicines that are absolutely necessary for health and well-being and even for life itself. If I were the devil, I'd take something you need always and I would try to make it work against you. To make you captive to that particular substance, whatever it might be. Even so that after you overcame the temptations... You'd still need it every single day. Or like the human need for love. Let's just be honest. God has created us in his image. God is a loving God. That means that we are created to give and to receive love. We are made with that need. But can I tell you that if I were the devil, I would take your need for love, your need for closeness, your need for a relationship... And I would turn it against you in such a way that you would be tempted continually to sexual immorality. And then even after I had captured you with that and destroyed all your relationships and made you destitute financially and all kinds of other problems, if you were able to work your way out of it, it would still be something that you need every single day because you need Love. You need a relationship. Now, I understand that's a contortion. That's a perversion of God's created design for us to need love. I get that. But that's exactly why I would use it if I were the devil. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that Satan uses the things that we will never not need to bring us down and to bring us away from God. There's a passage in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul talks about the importance of staying in control, of having self-control of these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's verse 12. I'll put it here on the screen. In verse 12 he says, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. 
Now, I think it's interesting. You take a look at the words of Paul in that verse there. He says, all things are lawful for me. And what he means is there are plenty of things that are not wrong in and of themselves in any way. Like those four examples that I gave you. You need food. You need some medicines. You need money. You need love. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But a perversion of any of those, any of those can lead you away from God and it can dominate us. It can control us and it can be the deciding thing in our lives. The hardest part then, the hardest part of overcoming these temptations for us as the people of God, the hardest part is that we will still see these temptations every day, no matter what. And so if I were the devil, I'd make self-control Really hard to learn, especially in the stuff that we consider the easy stuff. I would tell you continually, hey, you're not, you can get control of this anytime you want to. And I would never let you ask yourself, then why am I not in control now? I would make sure that the easy stuff would be the stuff that brings you down. Now, I want to admit before I move away from this one. I want to admit that this one, I know that there are people in this room for whom this hits very, very close to home. You know how real the devil's power can be in this area because you have seen it. And I would like to just encourage all of us not to underestimate the devil in this particular way. Not to think that we're somehow so much better than the possibility of temptation in these areas. We are not. And so let's be alert to his schemes and let's be self-controlled enough to enjoy God's good blessings in their proper contexts. Because this is some dangerous stuff, even as simple as it might sound. And then thirdly, this morning, I would tell you that if I were the devil, I would use distraction alongside temptation. Matter of fact, I bet I could make even more progress with distraction than I could with temptation itself. And what I mean by that is I wouldn't always have to tempt you to commit some horrible, evil act that God forbids outright. Some of the time, I think it would be easier on me to just convince you to not pay as much attention to God. That'd be a lot easier, just distract you from the priorities. And so that's exactly what I would try to do. I would try to fill your mind with so many other priorities that you just didn't have the focus. You didn't have the energy to give yourself entirely to God. And if I were the devil, I would do that largely by cramming your calendar full of everything except God. I would do that by cramming your calendar full of all sorts of things that of themselves are actually very good. But I would make sure that there was no time at all left for the things of God. And this method of distraction then is exactly how I would do it. I want to tell you this morning, I am... I think that we have a bit of a misunderstanding on a passage about the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told that if anybody eats and drinks the Lord's Supper in a way that is unworthy, then he is guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I think most of the time that we read that passage, what we hear is if anybody eats and drinks of the Lord's Supper and he's distracted during the Lord's Supper, then he is guilty of the blood of Christ. And you know, that passage just simply doesn't say that. It just simply does not say that. It says if we are unworthy. 
And that has an entirely new take on the idea of how we view the Lord's Supper. It's an entirely different concept. Because this idea of distraction, listen, distraction is not itself a sin. It's any more than temptation is itself a sin. It is when we give in to the temptation. It is when we give in to the distraction that it becomes sinful for us. And that's why if I were the devil, I would use distraction just to convince you to sin or to convince you not to seek God. One writer vividly described the ease with which the devil can undo our focus on spiritual things. When he talked about a man who left his house in the morning, he went to get in his car, he walks out of the house in a nice suit, well-dressed, carrying his bag for work, and somehow the timer on the sprinkler system has gotten off and he gets sprayed in the face immediately on walking out of the house. Now that man has spent all morning praying to God, thinking about how he was going to be a good influence for others at his workplace when he gets there. He walks out of the house, he gets sprayed in the face by the sprinkler, And all of it is undone in an instant. Does that sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) Or something similar? That is what I would do if I were the devil. Using distraction appropriately, I bet I could turn almost as many hearts away from God as I could with temptation. And that is why, brothers and sisters, that is why as much as it depends on, on us, We must stay eminently focused on Christ and His righteousness. We must be constantly looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me give you one practical piece of advice here on this one, which is this. Do not work against distraction. It won't work. You'll just distract yourself with trying not to be distracted. Okay, It's not going to work like that. But do work on your focus on godliness, on looking to Jesus. And then finally this morning, number four, if I were the devil, if I were the devil, I would do my best to isolate believers. I would do my absolute best to isolate believers inside themselves and away from their families, and away from their churches, and away from God himself. I would encourage, if I were the devil, I would encourage believers to be radically individualistic, to deny that they need the church, to follow their own path toward God with no regard for others. I would, I would tell them that the way they feel God is leading them is more important than the way that God says He will lead them. And especially this one, If I were the devil, I would try to convince believers in Jesus Christ to hide from help when they need it the most. I would try to convince them to hide from help when they need it the most. And can I show you the Bible passage that I would use if I were the devil to make this happen? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to look at that verse with me this morning. I want to show you a couple of things about it from both the devil's perspective And then from the perspective of God and what it actually says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I think, at least for me, that most of the time when that verse has been read, what I hear is, if you are just strong enough and you just have enough willpower, God will always give you the ability to just say no. Can I just tell you that I don't think that's what God intends to convey there? Sometimes we think that verse says God won't give you more than you can handle as though there won't be things that are just really super difficult in your life. Hello, of course there will. And the verse doesn't say that. The verse doesn't say that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's only partially true. And it's not a good representation of God's actual message there. I think we want that verse to say, God will never give you anything that is emotionally crippling or that seems completely hopeless or that is painful over the long haul. But the Bible doesn't say any of that in that passage. In that passage, it says God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear and endure the temptation. Can I tell you? That a way of escape for you might be your relationship with somebody in the church. That might be your way of escape from that particular temptation. As you make yourself accountable to them and they hold you accountable to God. Maybe that is your way of escape. Maybe your way of escape is some sort of rehab program. That helps. Those are designed to help us and they work. Maybe your way of escape is a piece of software on your computer that keeps you accountable in the way that you use the Internet. Maybe that's your way of escape. Maybe your way of escape is a new hobby, a new habit like exercise or something that helps you to overcome your self-indulgent lifestyle. Maybe your escape is a trustworthy, believing friend that will keep you eminently focused on God. The Bible does not say in that verse that God will always give you the willpower to just say no. Every time, no matter the temptation, no matter how deep you are in the sin, someday you can just say, nope. It doesn't say that. There are plenty of methods that God can use to help. And just to illustrate that, there's a cute little story that I heard, I don't know how long ago, that said and talked about a town that was flooding and a woman went up on the roof of her house as the water was rising. And as the water rose, somebody came by in a boat and they said, Lady, come on, I'm I'm, going to get you out of here. And she said, No, 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 I'm up here on the roof of the house. I'm praying that the Lord's going to save me. You've heard this story? I'm praying the Lord's going to save me. And he said, okay, well, I'm going on. Somebody else came by later with with a helicopter. And they said, lady, come on, we're going to save you. She said, no, no, I'm praying that the Lord's going to save me. And somebody else came by in another boat later on. And lady, come on, you got to get out of here. This is it. I'm praying that the Lord's going to save me. Well, she died in the flood. And as she stood before God, she said, Lord, I thought you were going to save me. And he said, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. (laughs) What was wrong with that? (laughs) Can I just say to you that the same thing happens for us? That God gives all sorts of ways of escape for us. Let's not pigeonhole him into just one possible option. And let's understand that it is not just up to you to be good enough. It is up to his power to overcome sin. And if I were the devil, that's how I would get you though. 
That's how I would try to get you. I would try to isolate you and make you depend on yourself to try to hide your to try to hide your sin from God, as we talked about last week. I would try to make you hide your weaknesses from other Christians, distrusting that they will be able to help or that they will care about you. I would try to convince you to take care of some things in your life before you go back to God with your life. And I would try to convince you to just depend on your sheer willpower to overcome sin and be a good person. Now, I think in particular, there's a part of that last one that sounds right to us because the Bible teaches about self-control. And that sounds right. But in terms of overcoming sin, can I show you from 1 John, this passage here on the screen, that at the end of it there, it says that it is the word of God that abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It is the word at work. It is the power of God at work. Not just your sheer willpower to be good enough for God. And so let's be very, very clear that isolation does not help a Christian. That pulling away from others just doesn't help. And if I were the devil, it's exactly what I would try to do. I would try to pull you out away from others and into yourself to remind you, to remind you, to tell you that you have to fix this alone. And to make you forget that the Bible says that it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now part of fixing that problem as we talked about last week is a culture of confession as a church. I want to tell you very sincerely, our elders in this congregation are gentlemen. And there are people in this church as a whole whom I know to be gentle and forgiving like Christ. And so I'm going to stop playing the devil's advocate here and just ask you sincerely that if you are isolated, if he has pulled you away from the family, the spiritual family that you need, don't try to go it alone. Don't. You will get isolated and killed like a lion that separates the weak ones from the herd and takes them down. It just isn't going to end well for you. Come and, con- and confess and let us, let us help you with that. And while I'm talking about the elders, while I mention them, can I just say a very quick word about that? If I were the devil, one thing that I would try very hard to do is to isolate them and their wives and their families. I would do my best to isolate the leaders of God's churches. Because without a church family to connect with, when they're put in a role that is somehow different, where we treat them as though they're immune and they can never have problems, and where they feel that I can never show weakness for the church to see, it's not going to help. It's just going to isolate. The devil will try to do that to everyone who is in a position of leadership. And I asked you on the first Sunday that we were here with this congregation, I asked you, please don't assume that we don't need a family. Me and my family, please don't assume that we don't need a family. And you have done remarkably well with that. You have loved us dearly and you have watched over our souls. And I appreciate that so much. Can I encourage all of us? To do the same for our shepherds and for their families. As they watch over our souls, let's be their family and watch over their souls. So that the devil does not isolate them and cull them out of the herd. 
and take them down as well. The devil's success rate with this technique is very, very good over the last 20 centuries. Church leaders have been caught up inextricably in sexual affairs, substance abuse, self-inflicted money scandals, and violence at home. And in the most extreme cases, the devil has convinced some of them to take their own lives because they were just too far removed from anyone that they could be helped. I've seen it in too many places, which is, again, why I'm thankful for the way you have treated us. And why I'm encouraging you to treat our shepherds and their families with the same care as a family. As you keep doing that for all of your brothers and sisters in Christ, let's make sure that nobody, no Christian, no believer is left out on his own where if I were the devil, I could devour him at will. Which brings us to this then. If I were a believer, what would I do? What would I do against all of this? I want to show you one quick passage from our scripture reading earlier this morning that tells us what we ought to do. If I were a believer and I were trying to respond to these threats, I would, number one, keep both eyes open. Pay attention. Stay watchful. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Keep both eyes open toward him and keep both eyes open toward God. Now, I apologize that that reference is incorrect there. That should be Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 goes in that verse about diligently pursuing God. Keep both eyes on him. I pray that as Christians, we can have the confidence to defend ourselves. And in order to do that, we need to know what the threats are. That's what I would do. That's the first half, in fact, of what I would do if I were the devil. Thank you so much for your good attention this morning. If you are caught by one of these schemes of the devil this morning and you are willing to admit that and to seek the power of God to get you out of that, you have a perfect opportunity this morning to come and to talk to us, to me, to one of the shepherds, to any member of this congregation that you know, that you trust, will lead you to God. And that's what we want as a church family. We want to see somebody freed from the devil grip, freed from the clutches of his devouring nature and brought into the light and freedom of God. And so if we can do that for you this morning, would you let us know? Would you come forward and talk to us while we stand together and sing this song to invite you?